Well, good evening, everybody. Uh, it is. Oh, let's see if we can make this up. No, we can't. Excuse me a minute. Talk amongst yourselves for a moment. In fact, let me talk whilst you're, uh, whilst I'm doing this. It's just been absolutely brilliant to be with you. Thank you so much for your patience, your welcome, your fellowship. I think what you're doing is a truly impressive thing for reasons that we'll explore together tonight. Um, but it's just been lovely to be with you. So thank you so much for having me. And we may just not bother with this if it's going to create problems. Try this. I'm going to talk. There we go. He just had to come close to it. Do you see that? <laughs> that, that is a gift. Whoa. Right there, man. We might have to cast that out later. <laughs> but that was brilliant. Thank you, James. Um, so we've been thinking this week about what it means to be in Christ. We've been doing what I've called systematic theology, which is that we're not going to be in one passage. We're going to be dotting around a little bit. Um, it's, it's a valid way of studying Scripture. And we're thinking about this theme of what it means to be in Christ. Uh, and I've said that being in Christ means, means these things, just the things I've selected from the scriptures this week. One is we are unshakably safe in the Lord Jesus. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. We are unshakably safe. We are immeasurably loved if we're in the Lord Jesus Christ. If we are in Christ, the love the Father has for the Son is the love the Father lavishes on us. If we're in Him, the way the Father loves the Son is the way the Father loves you and me. Uh, now that should, as you get your head around that and as I get my head around that, those two things should be liberating us in some remarkable ways. Whatever the circumstances of our life, as we were just saying, nothing can actually take away that which is most important. We are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, however we might feel about ourselves, the, the objective reality is we are loved beyond measure by the creator of the cosmos because we're in Christ. These are remarkable truths that should just start to transform the stuff that uh, shapes our identity and how we think about ourselves and feel about ourselves. We thought uh, that in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are fully equipped. We saw that um, God has given all things to the Son for the sake of the church. And uh, all things are under his feet, and we are in him. Whatever it is God has called us to do, we are fully equipped in the Lord Jesus Christ to do it. Last night we were thinking about the fact we're utterly transformed by being in the Lord Jesus, uh, and we've said a bit about that already tonight. So here's our last thing of our Bradford Keswick 2017. Our, our last theme is this. In Jesus, we are united as one. In Jesus, we are united as one. I'm quite a wordy person. You probably noticed that from the slides I put up. A lot of words, not many pictures. If you're a visual person, forgive me for that. I'm just, I'm just wordy, I know that. So here's some pictures for you, okay? Here, here are three of my favourite images of church. Do you like that one? 
I really like that one. A whole bunch of people um, coming together and pointing to something beyond themselves. So a whole bunch of people coming together, and it's a big arrowhead that is, of course, pointing to uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love that picture because it's messy. There are people coming in and there are people going out. You know, it's, it's, it's a bit, at the edges, it's a bit messy. But there's this, there's this lovely core purpose to it. I, I love this picture of church. It's, uh, it's a loving community uh, that is joined together and is, and is facing inwards, but is also open to the outsider. So it's, it's a community of love and fellowship, but it's also a community of welcome. It's always open to the outsider. I love that image. I love this picture as well, actually. I love that image of, of it's, it's cross-generational, it's multi-ethnic, and it's loving. It's a family together. Just, just lovely pictures of church. The thing these, these three images have in common is there is unity between members of the church. There's unity. Church is God's people together. We, of course, know this. So what's a requisite for somebody being in Christ? Well, here's Aidan Wilson Tozer, the famous American pastor and writer, and he says this about church. 100 religious persons knit into a unity by careful organization do not constitute a church any more than 11 dead men make a football team. Uh, The first requisite is life always. So just, just the definition of us being in the Lord Jesus Christ means we are spiritually alive in him. We have been baptized into his death and into his resurrection. So we are alive. So the church is, is the community of those who have been born again by the Holy Spirit on receipt of the gospel of grace. That's the church. Those who are born again into life in Christ we come into this thing called church. Now, uh, here's just point number one. And what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to try and finish by nine. I know we're slightly late because of the Q&A, but we'll try and finish by nine, no later than that. Um, and I'm going to make one big overarching first point and then three little points after that, as I've done, I think, every other night. So here's the big overarching point. In Christ, we are, underscored, we already are united as one. If we are in Christ, our unity is pre-existing. It's already there. It's not something we have to create. It's something we have to sustain and maintain. But it it already exists. If you're a Christian, you already are united as one with other believers. So I think we see the Lord Jesus saying this to his disciples, don't we, in John 13, 34 to 35. A new command I give you, love one another as I've loved you so you must love one another. By this will everyone know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So this is our Lord speaking to us tonight. So can we just make sure we hear him nice and clear? Jesus says to me and to you tonight, you must love one another. It's, it's an imperative. It's a command. It's just a, a non-negotiable part of what it is to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. We must love our brothers and sisters. When you've done evangelism training courses, have you ever heard anyone cite Christian unity as a powerful evangelistic tool? In, in, in evangelism training, 
Have you ever come across a course that has a module on, here's why Christians getting along with one another will be part of the compelling evidence for the existence and the life of the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm trying to, I'm racking my brains. I can't think of an evangelistic training course that puts uh, as a priority unity between Christians as being evangelistically potent. But I think that's what Jesus says here, doesn't he? By the love you have one for another, will everybody know that you are my disciples? Part of the vivid witness of the church as being Christ followers and, and attractive and fragrant and compelling will be the love we have for each other. Uh, recently, um, in the part of Exeter that I, I lived in until a month ago, we were the kind of big church in the area, and there was a tiny um, Free Church of England congregation, and there was a dwindling Anglican congregation. And into the dwindling Anglican congregation was planted a kind of refreshing um, expression of church. So 60 people from a really big, local, charismatic Anglican church were planted into St. Matthew's in Newtown, in Exeter, which was just brilliant. We were delighted that that there was going to be a a partner church. And one thing we wanted to work really hard with, as soon as these guys arrived, was can we work together in our witness to Newtown, this area of Exeter we lived in? Can we work together? Because our understanding of of Christian unity is that it's brilliant because it's who we are. We should live out of who we are. We should live out of our identity. And this is our identity. It's also going to have a significant impact for this community. As they see the love we have for each other, that will have some kind of evangelistic impact. So at Christmas time, we tried to do things like have a joint carol service for the whole area. We didn't send our little separate flyers around, but we put... We put our, our events on the same piece of paper. We tried to make sure our events coordinators weren't doing exactly the same thing. Just those little expressions that said to the community, we're Christians, we're in different churches, but we love each other. We really love each other. Because that's just, that's living out of our identity. It's living out of, of who we actually are. Uh, the Apostle Paul, inspired, of course, by the Holy Spirit, hits on an image for our unity together as Christians that he just cannot get out of his head, can he? It's in Romans, it's in Corinthians, it's in Ephesians. You're tripping over it, all over Paul's writings. And it's the image that when we come into Christ, we come into a body. He's the head, and we are all different members of the same body. I know you know this, but let's just remind ourselves of it. So in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 5, in Christ, though many... We form one body. And then he expands that metaphor uh, later in the chapter. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptised by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. And so the body is not made up of one part, but of many parts. We live in a post-enlightenment um, age. We live in the, the, the post-enlightenment, the age of reason. One of the things I think that dawned in the age of enlightenment, much that was great at the age of enlightenment, one thing that may have been less helpful was we became increasingly in the West obsessed with individualism. 
we became obsessed with, with the idea that we are unique individuals and the purpose of our lives is to seek self-fulfillment. Now, there's nothing wrong with self-fulfillment, but if we overemphasize the individuality of our existence, we start to do damage to a full understanding of the gospel, I think. And a, a part of the gospel is when we drink the spirit of life, we've all been given one spirit to drink, Paul says, when we are baptized by one spirit into the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, we come not into life in Christ as individuals, we come into life in Christ as body, as family, as, as unity together. So the reality is, whether we like it or not, our identity is we are united as one. We just are. And if, if we uh, forget that or reject that or live against the grain of that, we're actually just denying who we actually are. And that's never a healthy thing to do, is it, to live out a false identity. That's never a thing to do. Uh, Ephesians 4, Paul says this, As a prisoner of the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Can you remember what he says next as being the life that looks worthy of the calling of being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, of being in Jesus. Here's, here's Paul's description of a life worthy of the calling to be in Christ. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Not make the unity of the Spirit. Keep it, because you already have it. Because you're in a body with other body parts, with Jesus as the head. Don't make the Spirit, make the unity of the Spirit, keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Uh, I suspect if there's, if there's one aspect of Christian doctrine that is neglected at the moment in, in the bits of the evangelical world I, I bounce around in anyway, it's unity. It's unity. I, I think we just don't talk about this anything like enough, which is why this has been such a huge joy to be part of. There are certain kind of um, Christian movements I love being part of. I love being part of Keswick because of nights like tonight, where different leaders from different fellowships have clearly had rich fellowship together over many years planning this kind of evening and and where you guys come together from all kinds of different churches you know, a moment where we, we 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 meet each other where you've put aside agendas where Sunbridge park their morning program on Sunday for the sake of, of this event where church on the way park their evening program on Sunday night for the sake of the wider event where individual agendas are sacrificed for the sake of something bigger together. I think it's brilliant. And I think it's increasingly rare, actually, in evangelical circles. I hope I'm wrong. I really hope I'm just being a misery guts. And I've got that wrong. But, but treasure it, cherish it. That's why I love Keswick. It's actually why I love Cape and Ray. Cape has a very similar ethos. It's why I love UCCF, the student movement, which has a very similar kind of ethos, uh, where evangelicals come together for a bigger purpose than just their own individual denominational agendas. Here's, um, here's the home group that I was part of in Exeter. Uh, that, sorry, it's not a very good picture. It was taken in winter uh, in artificial light, so forgive me. So let me just use some of the members of our, our home group very quickly. 
So um, uh, that's Tim. He was a doctor. He still is a doctor, a GP, young GP. Very, very bright guy. That's John, who, when he was 21, was on his push bike, and he, and he fell off and, and received a brain injury that has left him um, learning disabled for the rest of his life. He's now 65. He's, he's a bright boy. He can think really clearly. He just can't articulate it. So can you imagine how frustrating that is, to live a life not being able to articulate the quite significant thoughts that are going in your head? These guys are in the same group. We've got uh, this Mark, who's a PE teacher, uh, again, a sort of able, bright, young guy. And we've got this Mark, who's Down syndrome. And what, we do, what I'm not going to show you in the room is we have someone with bipolar disorder, and we have somebody who suffers bouts of severe depression. And, and we're from all these different kinds of backgrounds and walks of life. And we are together in Christ. Shouldn't work, but it works. Now, you, you will know exactly this. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. It works, and it's beautiful, and it's lovely. And it's not always easy, but it's beautiful. And I love it, and I'm deeply missing it. And can't wait to find something similar up here. Um, have you heard of the Sunday Assembly? Have you heard about this? This is um, Atheist Church. So it was started by a stand-up comedian called Sanderson Jones in London. And uh, he basically, he's an atheist, but he was tired of atheism often being defined by what it wasn't. He was, def- he was tired of atheists being so negative and down and critical and on the offensive all the time. And what he wanted to do was work out how you could actually enjoy life as an atheist rather than just, you know, have a go at Christians as an atheist. So he started this thing called the Sunday Assembly and he unashamedly modelled it on church. And he said, what we're going to do is, Christians have this great thing where every Sunday they get together and why can't atheists do that? So we'll call it the Sunday Assembly and we'll gather together and we'll do it just like church. So we'll sing together and we'll have a sermon and we'll have a collection and we'll have a testimony. We'll do all the things that Christians normally do. We just won't have God in it. Um, and, and this thing's been running in London now for, I think, two or three years. And the London one gets quite big crowds coming to it. And they've started opening it up around different parts of the country. I don't know, has Bradford got a Sunday Assembly? Do you know? No, 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 no. <laughs> well, there's, there's, one in, uh, there's one in Exeter, and, um, and when it started, I had a non-Christian friend that I'd been, he'd come to loads of stuff at Belmont with me, and he said to me, listen, I've come to all your stuff. <laughs> Time you came with me to something I want to go to. So how could I say no to that? So I went with him to the opening service of the Exeter Sunday Assembly, and, uh, and I'll, it, was, it was fascinating. So it was just like, it was held in the White Ensign Club in Exeter. And it was like walking into a small church. You walked in, and there was a little stage like this with a keyboard and a projector and a screen and a little semicircle of plastic chairs. And, uh, and we sat down, and it was, it was clearly modelled on church. We sang together, led by the keyboard. We sang words on the, on the projector. Do you know what we sang? We sang, Don't Stop Me Now by Queen. And there were about 17 of us. And we sang uh, Get Lucky by Daft Punk. And we sang Looking Like a Beautiful Day. Who's that? I can't remember who that is. But, but uh, is, I forget who it is. But we sang those three songs live, you know, together. And then there was um, a testimony about a guy who'd been on holiday and he didn't know anyone, but he'd kind of had a good time and he'd got to know the people he was with. 
And then there was a sermon from Sanderson Jones, the stand-up comedian from London, uh, who'd come down to launch the thing. And it was just a great talk. And the whole thing was just uh, atheist church. And it was, it was really fascinating. It was really fascinating. Guess how many meetings they managed to sustain it for? Three. They met monthly, and they met three times, and then it closed. They just couldn't sustain it. Because it's hard work, isn't it? Church is hard work. You know, so someone had to get there at the White Ensign Club and set the chairs out and put the keyboard up and put the screen up and the projector, put the kettle on, uh, get the biscuits. Someone had to buy the biscuits, get them. Oh, you know this. You're in church. You know all this. Uh, and, and someone had to pay for all that. And the collection wasn't covering the cost of the hall or because uh, no one's willing to put money in. And after three, it stopped. I went on their, their Facebook page and here's why they started it. Here's why they started it. Um, so this is one of the founders of the Exeter Sunday Assembly on their Facebook page, as was. He says, I've always been a bit jealous of religious types. Every Sunday they get to go and hang out with nice people and eat excellent biscuits. I don't know which church he'd been to, but it wasn't Belmont. And, uh, and have a sing-song. And sometimes I went along myself, but being an atheist, there seemed like there was something I wasn't getting, an extra step I couldn't take. I loved it. I loved the people, the music, the place. I came out every week feeling ready for anything. But I couldn't bear that nagging sensation of being a faker. So I had what felt like an impossible idea in my head. How do you get that same feeling of community, that same excitement and purpose, without the little supernatural extra? And he tried it, and he couldn't do it. This was his co-founder, Tom. I'm a big believer that we all have an innate desire within us to connect with other people, to be part of a community, to laugh, to help, to wonder... I have a lot of Christian friends who, to be fair, get to experience that through the stuff they do with their church. So, hey, let's make that same thing possible for those who don't necessarily want to have the rest of the churchy stuff that goes along with it. And they couldn't do it. They couldn't sustain it. Um, Two things strike me about this. One is, are you encouraged by the impact church had had on these non-Christians? They'd looked at church and they'd gone, we want that. We don't want God, but we want that. And they've discovered that they can't have that without, without God. One of the most encouraging things Sanderson Jones said in that sermon was this. He said, um, there are big ups and downs in running one of these. Be prepared for disappointment. And this was his big disappointment. Uh, in the London one, which was huge, uh, they, they, they'd got a BBC producer on board as a volunteer to produce their services. They were doing really well. And after six months, this girl came to him and she said she was going to leave the team. And he said to her, I'm so sorry you're leaving the Sunday Assembly. Why are you leaving? And she said, well, being part of this has just reignited my desire to seek God. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that brilliant? <clears throat> um, but what they didn't have as a community is, of course, what we do have as a community. We come into life in Christ together. But it's his spirit that is, is that which, which holds us together. So that's, that's the big stuff. The reality is we already are united in Christ. So can I just plead with you tonight this? If you are in some kind of broken relationship with a fellow believer, and most of us will be at some point in our lives, let's be honest. If you're in some kind of broken relationship with a fellow believer, that's not natural it's, it's understandable in some ways because we're, we're still carrying the vestiges of the old nature with us. It's going to be inevitable. 
but it's not actually who we are. So, as we'll see, let's, let's just make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Ephesians 4, verse 3. Three quick things as we, as we finish. Here's thing number one. Uh, in Christ, we're united as one, as God's image bearers. This is back to the identity thing. Let's live out of who we are now we're in Christ, not who we're not. And uh, because we are image bearers of the triune God, unity is going to be something deeply natural to us and deeply necessary to us. God said, let's make mankind in our image, plural, in our likeness, Genesis 1.26. First thing, there was something in creation that was bad before the fall, and that was isolation. Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. We are built for uh, community. This guy, um, Mike Reeves, has written a lovely book on the Trinity. If you struggle with the concept of Trinity, could I recommend this little book, The Good God? It's a short book, but it's deep and, I think, brilliant. Look at what he says. It's only when you grasp what it means for God to be a Trinity that you really sense the beauty, the overflowing kindness, the heart-grabbing loveliness of God. The Trinity is the governing centre of all Christian belief, the truth that shapes and beautifies all others. The Trinity is the cockpit of all Christian thinking. The irony couldn't be thicker. What we assume would be a dull or peculiar irrelevance turns out to be the source of all that is good in Christianity. Uh, do you think of Trinity like that? Or do you think of it as a kind of mathematical problem? Three, one, one, three. Uh, or do you think of it as a debating point for your Muslim friends? But for, for um, and it is both those things. It's a, it is a mathematical mystery. It is a debating point for our Muslim friends. But the positive edge of it is, is this of this doctrine. It's about the heart-grabbing loveliness of God. It's about love, basically, the doctrine of the Trinity. So here's Jesus on Trinity, talking to the Father, John 17. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. Son says to Father, may the followers you've given me be one as Father and Son are one. Uh, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. And then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you've loved me. There it is again. Uh, evidence for non-Christians will partly be through the love of Christians for each other. We're united together because we're made in the image of a triune God who in his own nature is united together. It's just natural. We're living out of uh, our, our unity together. Second of the three is this. In Christ, we're united as one because we're image bearers of the triune God. Second is this. In Christ, we're united as one in forgiveness. In forgiveness. Uh, do you remember Jesus when he comes across the sinful woman? I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. Do you remember the love she pours upon Jesus? Literally shows her love by pouring out upon the Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Um, if, if we know we have been forgiven in Christ... One of the results of that will be that we will love. We will unite. We will love others. If we are struggling to love, it may be because we're forgetting we're forgiven. 
So part of the essence of Christian unity, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure, is the quality of our individual lives with Christ. If, if we are dwelling in the richness of our forgiveness, if we're dwelling in the richness of the gospel of grace, if we're rejoicing in the forgiveness that we've received from the Lord Jesus, we will be extending that in forgiveness and loving unity to others. Whoever's been forgiven little, loves little. And it might be tonight, if you're struggling to love your brothers and sisters, it might be because you're forgetting you've been forgiven. So the thing to do might just be to go back to the foot of the cross a little bit tonight. Um, If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your Father will forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their sins, end of the Lord's Prayer, your Father will not forgive your sins. To forgive comes out of a knowledge of forgiveness. The recognition we've received the gospel of grace is that we're we're going to forgive. Um, Bill Hybels is the senior pastor of Willow Creek Community Church. And in 2000, I had a sabbatical. I went to Willow Creek for a conference they ran for two weeks a uh, big American church that had a big influence in the UK in the, ni- in the 90s into the 2000s. Still, still does to some extent. And um, I stayed with a, a founding couple of Willow Creek. If you were an international guest at the conference, you got accommodation provided for you in the family of church members, which was brilliant. And I stayed with a couple who'd been in the church at that point for 25 years since it had been founded, since 1975. And, uh, and they were great. And I said to them, I know this is an impossible question, but if you had to sum up the secret of Willow Creek's success, what would you say? And what they said was this. They said, this church, by the, at this stage, this church was 25,000 people strong. How ridiculous is that? But, uh, but they said, the secret is, we think is this. This church does not tolerate relational brokenness. And I said, what, what do you mean? They said, well... From the, from the start of the church, if, if, if a couple in the church, two people in the church, had problems with each other, that would not be, that couldn't be left. It had to be sorted out by the leadership. It just had to be sorted out. Because the idea was, we cannot preach a gospel of reconciliation if we are ourselves not reconciled. That's our nonsense. Who's going to listen to us preach reconciliation with God if we're not even reconciled with each other? Who's going to listen? It's just nonsense if we do that. And, and they thought that at every level was a defining feature of Willow Creek. If there was a relational problem, it got sorted out. Here's the last and final thing, uh, and it's linked. In Christ, we are united as one in reconciliation. We, we forgive because we have been forgiven, and we are united because we're in Christ, who is one with the Father and with the Spirit, We're birthed into the unity of the Trinity, so of course we're united together. But thirdly and lastly, we're united as one in reconciliation. And this again is all over the New Testament, isn't it? If you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, and first go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. Matthew 5, 23, 24. Jesus says, "Don't, don't bring something to God... Don't, don't enjoy your, the privilege of reconciliation with the Father in worship if you haven't reconciled as the body first. Just, just don't do it. It will be a nonsense. It will be hypocrisy. This, I suspect, might be one of the least obeyed verses in Scripture. Uh, Matthew eighteen fifteen. If your brother and sister or sister sins, go and point out their faults 
just between the two of you, and if they listen to you, you've won them over. And you know the passage. You know it then escalates. If that doesn't work, then there are further steps to take. But that's the first principle. If, if your brother or sister's wronged you, go to them. And how often do we actually do that? If you do that, then brilliant. Yay you. Brilliant. But how often do we not do that? Do we moan? Do we internalize it? Do we go and talk to somebody else about it? Do we, do we uh, complain about them behind their back? How often do we just disobey Matthew 18, 15? If there's a, we, we saw this the other night, didn't we? If there's, um, sorry, let's just get to this. If there's a fracture in the body, fractures are when, sorry, we'll come to him in a minute. Fractures are when members fall out with one another and the pain is felt by the whole body. Uh, if, if there's a fracture in the body, how often do we actually obey Matthew 18.15 and go and do something about it? That was a little list we put up the other night about ways the body can go wrong. Amputation, when members cut themselves off from couldn't use their gifts. Elephantitis, when one ministry gets too big. Uh, atrophy, when people stop serving. They just attend, but they don't actually serve. Fractures, when we fall out with each other. Arthritis, when member grinds on member, bone grinds on bone, but the gristle of love is missing. We're not bearing with one another in love. I want to finish um, by showing you my favourite movie character. Okay. Who, who does not know who this is? A few of us. Okay. Um, if you, that, you need to um, deepen your education by watching a film called <laughs> Toy Story. Okay. And this is, this is Buzz Lightyear, who's a character in Toy Story. And the, here's the joke. Here's the, here's, the, here's the central moment in Toy Story. Buzz Lightyear is a toy, and he's a space ranger toy, but he thinks he's really a space ranger. And he thinks his job really is to save the world and defeat the Emperor Zerg. But the turning point in the movie is when he realizes who he really is. He's not actually a space ranger. He's a toy. And his purpose is not to save the world. It's to just entertain a small boy called Andy. And that's the, that's the pivot that the film switches on. It's, it's beautiful. And I sometimes think in church, we make the same mistake, but from the other direction. We actually think we're playing. We think it's a game, and we're playing. And, and that's why we will tolerate relational brokenness in churches. Because sometimes I think we mistake ourselves for some kind of club and this isn't a game. We're not toys. There really is an evil Emperor Zerg. And we really are space rangers. And we really are the hope of the world. And we really are called by the Savior of the world to proclaim his salvation to a world that desperately, desperately needs it. Um, Bill Hybels says this, and I'm going to finish with this and then one more quote. He says this, He's a, he's a pastor of a big church. He says, I'm taken aback by the power the people in Washington don't have. Politicians, and he, he, this guy does a lot of work with American presidents and goes to Washington and is chaplain to presidents and all that kind of stuff. So he goes to Washington a lot. Politicians can rearrange stuff on the surface of life. They can spend money and enact legislation and draw attention to a cause. But they can't bring fundamental transformation into the life of one individual. They can't rewrite the eternal address of a single person. They can't order genuine reconciliation between two estranged human beings. They can't instill character into anybody. 
They can't turn a selfish heart into a servant heart or a granite heart into a giving heart. My job, he's a pastor, my job is a lot weightier than his or hers. And so are the ministries of people around the world who are investing their energy into turning irreligious people into fully devoted followers of Christ. Um, we skipped over it, but there was a, a quote from Mark Deaver that says, the church is the gospel made visible. And if the gospel is about forgiveness and reconciliation, then the church has to be about forgiveness and reconciliation. Brothers and sisters, I know this is not new to you, and I know this isn't easy. And I know there will be probably in the room um, stories of those who would yearn to be reconciled with a brother or sister you've fallen out with. And you've prayed it through, and you've worked on it for years, and it's just not proved possible. I understand it's not as simple as I'm making it sound. And my heart goes out to you. But can we commit ourselves, wherever possible, to live who we are? We are in Christ, we are body, and we are united together. And let's do our best to, in his strength, to do that. In Christ, we're unshakably safe. We're immeasurably loved. We are fully equipped. We are utterly transformed. And we are united as one. I'm going to close just by reading um, a famous piece of prose. No one really knows where it came from. I think it might have come from a Rwandan pastor at the time of the genocide in Rwanda a few years ago. You may may know it, but let me just uh, read this as we finish, then I'll pray. I'm part of the Fellowship of the Unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision's been made. I am a disciple of his. I won't look back or let up or slow down or back away or be still. My past is redeemed, my present makes sense, and my future is secure. I am finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colourless dreams, and tame visions. I no longer need preeminence or position or promotions or plaudits or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, top, recognised, praised, regarded or rewarded. I now learn by faith, love by patience, live by prayer and labour by power. My face is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven. My road is narrow and my way is rough and my companions are few. But my guide is reliable and my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, lured away, turned back, diluted or delayed. I won't flinch in the face of sacrifice or hesitate in the presence of adversity or negotiate at the table of the enemy. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go till he comes, give till I drop, preach until all know and work till he stops me. And when he comes to get his own, he will have no problems recognising me. My colours will be clear. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the incredible truth of the gospel. Thank you that despite our sin and our brokenness, you loved us. Thank you so much that the work of Jesus Christ on the cross is the completed work for our salvation, that 
we are in him, that we have been baptized into his death and into his resurrection. And in him, we are in the safest place it's possible to be. Father, forgive us when we forget these beautiful truths. Forgive us when we do wander away from the truth. Forgive us when we're not transformed by the renewing of our minds through the glory of your gospel. But we pray that we would increasingly be. And we pray that uh, through the joy, through the confidence, through the unity that we enjoy in the Lord Jesus Christ, many would see him and come to bow the knee, receive him, and give him their praise in their lives. And we pray these things in his lovely name. Amen. But we'll uh, finish by, yeah, just singing a, an amazing prayer. And uh, the words are, come set your rule and reign in our hearts again. Increasing us, we pray, unveil us why we're made. But the chorus goes on to say, um, build your kingdom here. Let the darkness fear. Show your mighty hand. Heal our streets and lands. Set your church on fire, win this nation back, change the atmosphere, build your kingdom here. What an amazing prayer that is. So if you'd like to stand and we'll finish this amazing convention on this song. Lord, what an amazing song to finish on. Lord, build your kingdom here. Lord, start in us as individuals. Uh, Lord, as a church in this city, Lord, in this nation, And, uh, Lord, breathe upon us by your Holy Spirit. Move amongst us, Lord. Reveal to us the depth of of your love, Lord. Open our eyes to see those things that we're missing. And and in that, Lord, you would be glorified. People would be drawn to you. Souls would be saved, Lord. Uh, The enemy would be trampled upon as we uh, extend your kingdom, Lord, and look to you for our strength. We thank you for Derek, Lord. We thank you for this time that we've had together over the last few days. Lord, how blessed we have been, how richly blessed. And we want to pray for Derek, Lord, in his new role, Lord. We lift him before you. We thank you for uh, his ministry, Lord, for his love for you and his faithfulness in his ministry. Would you equip him, Lord? Would you just give him everything that he would need as he takes on that role at Cape and Ray? May he know and sense your hand upon him. And Lord, as he goes forward, he would do so in your strength, authority and power. Lord, bless him and his family. Lord, we pray for his wife. Lord, we pray for that transitional period. And Lord, that he would find that place, that place of fellowship that would be so intimate with other brothers and sisters. And uh, Lord, we know your heart toward him is love, as it is for each one of us. So Lord, we thank you for our richly blessed. We have been because of his ministry. Lord, we pray your blessing upon him. And as we leave tonight, Lord, we, we ask that you would go before us, that you would help us as we go out. Lord, we want to be uh, filled, equipped, ready. Lord, bring back, Lord, those things that we have learned over these few days into our mind as we head into the day tomorrow, as we head to our families, as we head into the workplace. And Lord, we, we pray that you would build your kingdom and that you would be established. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your many blessings. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Sorry for the the late finish, but I'm sure you'll agree it was well worth it.
Uh, please stay around for tea and coffee and fellowship. Would you like to